Hello, you're tuned to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We're pleased to have you join us for tonight's program. It's interesting that Paul, when he's asked for prayer in his other prison epistles, not one of those prayer points was, pray that I'm released. Not one, not one hint of any prayer for a change in his circumstances. Do you know how many prayer points I offer for people to pray for me under nearly all circumstance? How much do you like being uncomfortable? Oh, nothing like a good dose of suffering every now and then, eh? Oh, not likely. When the Apostle Paul wrote to young Timothy, he was actually awaiting execution because he'd preached the gospel of Jesus. And yet he urged Timothy to press on in the faith and in his preaching. What's his story? Well, let's join Dr. Corbett now as he continues in his series, Dear Timothy, his topic, Why I Suffer the Way I Do. Anyway, so those are, those are some of the stories that, that uh, I've, I've, I heard in discussing this with, with Jim McMillan. And he said the whole thing, this whole experience of interacting with the persecuted church has just completely changed his way of looking at church and ministry and God. And he, he left Open Doors and he's, he's pastoring a very small church just outside of Ballarat in Victoria. And he says, it's wonderful. You know, we, 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 we're just a small church and yet we, we pray for the persecuted believers exactly the thing that's needed. And I think it's a thing that we need to do too as well. I'm going to pray, and as this has coalesced, it's coincided, we're actually looking at 2 Timothy. We've made our way through 1 Timothy. Tonight we open up 2 Timothy. And as I introduce this, you'll see that this fits in perfectly with the timing of what we've been doing today. So let's pray. Father, open our hearts eyes open our hearts help us to see and help us to feel lord a tear from your eye may it just touch our soul and may we feel your heart for our brothers and sisters around the world and lord the next time we see people who look strange who dress strange who don't quite know our language very well walking down our streets May we not see them as unwelcome visitors, but Father, may our eyes and our hearts be open to them to recognise we cannot go into their country for fear of being imprisoned or worse. And yet here we are at a time in world history when you have brought these people to our doorstep. And I pray, O oh God, that we will be good hosts for them. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, please turn to 2 Timothy. And we're going to be looking at the first uh, 12 or 13 verses or so, probably the first 12 verses. And this is called Why I Suffer As I Do. Paul wrote 1 Timothy, as I've mentioned, with the hope that his Roman imprisonment would, would end with him being able to stand before Caesar Nero, give a defense of the gospel and be released. That seems to be what Paul thought would happen. He had reason to think that might happen. He certainly had reason to, to believe from his Damascus Road experience 
that the day would come when he would stand before the emperor and bear witness to Jesus. You only have to read Acts chapter 9 to see that Damascus Road conversion experience to see that that's what Ananias, one of the people he was going to Damascus to persecute, was given from the Lord to tell Paul. Tell Paul he is my instrument and that he will stand before kings and governors and those in positions of power and bear witness to my name. And so here he is. The Jews referred to Caesar as king and Paul is about to stand before Nero. And it, it really does seem that Paul, because of the language in 1 Timothy where he says, I hope to soon come to you. I hope to soon be released. The language now in 2 Timothy takes a dramatic turn. And Paul actually at the end of 2 Timothy describes his knowledge, which I suspect has come from the Holy Spirit, that he is going to stand before Caesar and it will be one of the last things he ever does. History tells us it was one of the last things he ever did. I know that there are some Christians who speculate that he was released, he went to England, he preached in England and so on. There is absolutely no evidence for that. In fact, the evidence all points to Paul being beheaded by order of Caesar Nero shortly after 2 Timothy was written. So we're in chapter 1, verse 1. The thing to note is how different this is to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. It's, it's, the difference is subtle, but there is a difference. Let me point out some of the differences here as we look at this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Hmm. You're facing death and Christ has given him the promise of life, but not the kind of life that might be immediately obvious. Here Paul says he's an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. It wasn't a job vacancy that he applied for. It wasn't because someone voted him in. It wasn't because he was elected to an office. He was called by the will of God, Thelematos, the will of God. The will of God. The will of God was for Paul to be an apostle. He is described as one of the greatest church planters of all time. A bit of a, a hard thing to disagree with. He had a, a very clear strategy. He would go into a place and he would take a team of people with him. He was often traveling, we, we see in the book of Acts, with up to six people. And he would go in with this team of people who would pray with him, pray for him, preach and do what they could at the same time. And here Paul says that what he was going through as an apostle of Jesus Christ was right in the middle of God's will. You know, I think one of the most encouraging prophetic words you could ever receive, and I don't know if you ever have, is for someone with a prophetic unction on their life to come to you and say, you are not ahead, you are not behind, you are not to the left, you are not to the right, you are in my will, says the Lord. Would that encourage you if you heard that? Kim and I have had that 
maybe about three times. And it often comes at very dark times for us. You are not behind, you are not in front, you are not to the left, you are not to the right, you are in the middle of my will. Here Paul is saying he's an apostle by the will of God. What was he going through? We know he was imprisoned. He describes his experience in some of his other uh, epistles that he wrote, and they're called the prison epistles. He describes his experience as being one where he was in chains. Does that sound like the will of God? Here's the point. If you think the will of God for your life is for you to have whatever you want, whenever you want it, and as much of it as you want, you are, as Tom Nielsen would say, deluded. That's about what you would say, I reckon, Tom. You're deluded. Exactly right. right. Is hardship and difficulties ever God's will for someone's life in Christ? If you have read Paul's epistles and you've read 2 Corinthians, you would see he lists in shipwrecks often. I can't even say in shipwrecks ever. He talks about being whipped, being beaten. Have you ever been on a ship that's gone down, Tony? Uh, (laughs) You're what? Hobie cat. It capsized and you just flipped it back over? Or it just sank? Flip it over. Well, Paul, Paul was in these wooden ships that broke apart and he's clinging to pieces of the hull. And he says it happened a few times. And it happened because he was serving Christ. He was whipped. He was imprisoned. There were times when he had nothing to eat when he was extremely hungry. There were times when he was thirsty. There were times, he says, when he was in dangers of robbers, all because he was in the will of God. The good news for us is that's not necessarily God's will for us. Uh, At this point, I say, thank you, Jesus. And Jared and I were talking before about the difficulties that we face in life and, and hearing some of the stories that we've heard today, particularly Helen's story, whom we heard this morning, who as a young mother, early 20s, with uh, a daughter, eight years of age, and by the way, in most Islamic marriages take place with a girl around the ages of 14, 15. And they've often had five or six children by their 20s, just by the way. Helen, we, we heard her story, was singing on the steps of her church, singing praise. And for that, she was taken by the Eritrean Islamic police and put in a container in the desert for 32 months and tortured nearly every day to recant Christ and accept Islam. And she refused to do it. Not only did she refuse to do it, we heard her story. And Jim has met, Jim McMillan said he's, he's met Helen. He, he, he said she's the real deal. She says, as we heard her say this morning, she would sing worship songs to her guards. 
she would share the love of Christ and the gospel with the fellow prisoners and with the guards. Interesting. It's interesting that Paul, when he's asked for prayer in his other prison epistles, not one of those prayer points was, pray that I'm released. Not one. Not one hint of any prayer for a change in his circumstances. Do you know how many prayer points I offer for people to pray for me and they're nearly all circumstance? (laughs) And here's Paul. What a challenge to us. Pray that I, might, that I might take advantage of any open door that presents itself. Here he is in manacles, in a prison. That I might be able to present Christ. Pray that I'm bold and that I will share Christ. Oh, <laughs> the will of God. Is the will of God ever difficulties and hardship for someone who's following Christ? The answer is yes, it is. It can be. Verse 2. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, he describes Timothy as my true son in the faith. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 2, there's a change in the language. Notice this. To Timothy, my beloved child. Agapon technon, my beloved child. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And this has been pointed out to me. It was pointed out to me very early on. This is the last epistle that we have that Paul wrote. Not only will we in a moment see his tremendous tenderness displayed toward Timothy, but we will see his great intimacy with Christ. In his earlier epistles, He refers to Jesus as Jesus. We see a progression in Paul's epistles that as he journeyed with Jesus, he begins to refer to him as Jesus Christ. Christ is not his name, by the way. Christ is a designation, a title. Really, it should be Christ the Christ. Sorry, Jesus the Christ. As we see Paul reaching the end of his life, Just toward there, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in his last epistle, something magnificent has happened in Paul's soul about his intimacy with Christ. And he refers to him as Christ Jesus, our Lord. Title first and title last. Quite amazing. Verse 3. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience. I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. (laughs) Get get this picture. Paul is, is maybe weeks away from being executed. He's imprisoned. He's been moved to the Praetorian Guard from where he was in when he wrote 1 Timothy. And what's he doing? He's praying for Timothy. He's praying for Timothy. And this is what he says, verse 4. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. 
What this, what this tells me, and as pastors, I guess as pastors and those who are, are caring medically for, for patients, we see this, that a person's perspective on their values and what their life is all about begins to change as they approach the end of their life. Suddenly the things that once mattered don't matter anymore. Suddenly the things that should have always mattered now matter a lot. Have you seen those, those videos on YouTube of the, of the people on the planes that were hijacked, that landed in the Pentagon? They made a movie about it, Flight 282 or whatever it's called. And how they all got on those phones. You know those phones on those planes? We never use them. You know why we never use them? Because they're like $20 a second to use. You've got to put your credit card in and it's crazy expensive. You notice everyone on the plane, when they knew they were going to die, <coughs> grabbed those phones, credit card, and what was the one thing every one of them said when they were able to connect with who they rang? I love you. I love you. And it strikes me that Paul is on the phone to Timothy. I remember your tears. I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. And this just strikes me that a person's awareness of their end changes their perspective. I like this, that Paul has reached a point where it's not pray for me, but I'm praying for you. Paul's final encouragement to Timothy, notice what he says, verse, verse 5. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice and now I am sure dwells in you as well. He's describing Timothy as someone who has great faith. Verse 6. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. He's now telling Timothy, you've got a gift. Son, you've got a gift. Which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Verse 7. Therefore, verse 8, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Verse 9, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, as we heard Ali share over communion this morning, it's not anything we can do or fix this problem that we have, this problem of being alienated from God. We can't do anything about it. God had to solve the problem for us. But because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and verse 10, 
and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Hear that? Paul's about to die. And he says, but the reality is Christ has abolished death. And he's, he's not only has he abolished death, he's given me life and immortality. And as I heard someone pray, I think tonight, no matter what the persecutors do to our bodies, they can't do anything to us. Powerful thought. And it just sounds like Paul's saying something like that. Verses 11 and 12. For which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. Why was Paul prepared to suffer? Because he was appointed, he was called to be a preacher of the gospel, an apostle to govern those who received the gospel and a teacher to establish people in the gospel. And in fulfilling his call, fulfilling his ministry, being obedient to Christ, it meant he would have to suffer. He would have to pay a price. Hmm. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. What has been entrusted to him is eternal life. And Paul knew that he could remain faithful to Christ right to the end. Because here's what we know about God's grace. You never get a spare tank of it. God's grace is on tap when you need it. I used to have a motorbike. In fact, this is one of the few seasons in my life when I haven't got a motorbike. I pine for a motorbike, but Kim tells me, she teases me, she torments me about, maybe you mean bicycle. Yeah, 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 it, it doesn't help, darling. And trike, thank you. And we had these things on, on the old motorbikes. They had these things where it was a lever and it was, um, you, you would be riding along and then chug, chug, chug. You'd run out of petrol. We'd go, no problem, Tom, no problem. The reserve tank, just, just flick that switch, flick that lever. In kicks the reserve tank. There is no reserve tank of God's grace. In other words, when you are going through stuff, when you think you're about to go through stuff that right now you don't think you can handle, I guarantee you, God's grace will be with you on tap as you need it. Not in reserve. There's no reserve tank. But here's what there can be a reserve of, and Paul's demonstrating this. Trust in Christ. Reasons to trust in Christ. Paul had it. And here we see that Paul was convinced that Christ, the one whom he had come to know, was the one who would guard him until the end, would keep him in eternal life. And Paul could say to the Philippians, just prior to writing First and Second Timothy, 
I'm a torn man. I don't know what's better, to stay and fight for my life, which will be good for you, or to depart and to be with Christ. And that tells me again something of the intimacy that Paul had developed with Christ. What do we see here? We see here that the treasure that Paul saw in Christ and the treasure that we should all see that Paul saw, that is that Christ is our treasure, is a treasure that is so valuable we're prepared to pay a price to keep it. We're prepared to pay a price. And that price, Paul says in verse 12, which is why I suffer as I do, because I'm not going to let them take my treasure away. And if it means I suffer, I'm prepared to. As we close and we think about what we've seen here and hopefully what we've seen is that, and you've heard me say this before, part of my pastoral commission is to help those that I pastor to die well. Not today, not tonight, I hope, but eventually we all will, to die well. And the best way for me to pastor you to that end is to help you to live well in the present. And the best way to live well is to live with Christ as your highest treasure. We heard this morning that according to the research by Open Doors, there are today over 100 million believers around the world who are being persecuted because they follow Christ. Persecution. They're denied a job. They're denied the opportunity to shop. They're denied medical treatment. They're denied freedom. They're denied contact with their family. They're denied the opportunity to be able to move about freely. Some of them are imprisoned. Some of them are tortured. Some of them eventually lose their lives. One hundred million of our brothers and sisters. And I hope you heard, as Pastor Jim explained, the one thing they did not want us to pray for was that they could escape. He never had a persecuted pastor ask him to pray, pray that I can escape. They all prayed and asked for prayer that they would be faithful to Christ in the midst of their persecution. So tell me, does that present us with a challenge? If it doesn't, your challengeometer is well and truly busted. Because the challenge is that when someone asks you, what did you do on the weekend? And you're too ashamed to say, I went to church. <coughs> Can you see how that sounds now compared to what our brothers and sisters in the far-flung parts of the world, compared to where we are, have to endure? Would you please stand with me? Father, as we have observed the principles, the lessons that we see in the life of the Apostle Paul, as we see that he was prepared 
to suffer because of the great treasure that he had found in Christ. And Lord, as the enemy would seek to take that treasure from him, he was prepared to stand in Christ and suffer as a result. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't get to that point. I pray, Lord, for us here in this city, this valley that we're in, that we will take the front foot that, Lord, it won't just be about holding ground. It will be about taking ground. That, Father, we could see the enemy lose ground and the King of Kings take ground in our valley, in our city. And, Father, I pray that our light would indeed shine brightest. That, Father, as we shine the furthest we can into Nigeria, into Pakistan, into India, into these parts of the world, Vietnam, Burma, Thailand, as we, as we send support to our missions partners in these far-flung places of the world, that God, we would experience right here on our doorstep those who receive the grace of God and turn to Christ as their Saviour. And I pray for this in Jesus' name. Now, Lord, may we know the love of God the Father the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you. Have a great week. That's all we have time for tonight. If you'd like to obtain a CD copy or premium download of tonight's discussion, please go to our website, findingtruthmatters.org and select Dear Timothy Part 9 from our online store. As we've heard tonight, the Apostle Paul was about to be executed for his determination to preach the gospel of Jesus, and yet he persisted. Why? Because he was not ashamed. He had full confidence in Christ. More from Dr. Corbett next week. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to meeting with you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.